You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Here we are. We're still continuing our series on the church, Called Out Ones. We've been doing it for six, seven weeks. Chris White did an incredible job last week. Thank you, Mr. White and Tony Ramsdale week before that as well. And Justin actually was the week before and then Tony before that. So I'm picking up and I'm going to hit a topic today that maybe many of us have um, heard about, that you've had teachings on. I know our church has talked about this topic quite a bit over the many years of our history, but I want to talk about it today and, and maybe even just a touch of a new light um, to understand, you know, the church a little bit better and to understand the workings with inside the church. So we're going to open to Ephesians 4. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open with me. If not, possibly the scriptures will be behind us. Um, so I'm going to start in Ephesians 4, and I'm going to just read the first verse, a uh, first couple verses, and then we're going to jump down. Now listen, I, I could just teach on Ephesians 4 for a couple of weeks. Read Ephesians 4. We're not going to go through the whole chapter today. But honestly, the truth is this. If the church could just accomplish what's said in Ephesians 4, we'd be doing really good. And it's about how we treat each other. It's how we look at each other. It's how we look at the outside world. And there's just a lot of great stuff. Paul's admonishing the, the church in Ephesus in this book. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 1, then jump down to where we're going to land. So verse 1, it says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, I love this language, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called... By God. Do you remember the very first message on church? Called out ones. We talked about this, and I even went through a parable there, and I talked about what ecclesia means, and this idea that we're called out. We're called to hear a message. We're called out to do something, and that, that this, this wording that Jesus chose to describe his church had really some deep understanding to it. And here we are, we're hearing kind of the same language in Paul's writing, of course, as he's imitating Christ, and he's writing this letter, and he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of you being called. I think if someone was writing letters to the church today, this could still be said. Because isn't it easy for us to just get distracted? It's easy for us to kind of end up maybe doing a, a certain thing or down our own path or down our, our own direction, our own leading, and yet someone could write these words to us and just say, listen, please, you're the church, you're the called out ones, you're the ones called to represent Jesus in this world, to point people to who this incredible Father is in heaven, who's created all of the heavens and earth, has created everything for us, please lead a life worthy of your calling. And I, and I love that he says, I beg you, I'm pleading, don't just, don't just go about life flippantly. Don't just go about life just thinking that what you do and say and how you act and the decisions you make don't really matter. Because if you're a Christ follower, if you're a part of his body, his church, his called out ones, then people are watching. You are a representation of God in this earth. And I'm begging you 
lead a life worthy of your calling. So this matters to us. It matters how we act and how we look. And, and of course, Paul goes into Ephesians 4, and he really, really puts a lot of stuff in there about how to look. What, what does a life worthy of our calling actually look like? And part of getting there is something he then goes on to describe, and we're going to jump down now to verse 11. And this is kind of the topic I want to hit. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. How many of us have heard this language before? Yes? So first, he's admonishing and he's begging the church in Ephesus to lead a life worthy of their calling. But now, I actually believe the reason that we see this, this whole little part of now here are the gifts given to the body. The reason Paul puts that there, you'd almost think it didn't belong in chapter 4 if you read the rest. But the truth is, these gifts given to the body are what cause us to be able to lead a life worthy of our calling. And so we have these five gifts that Paul brings up in, in Ephesians here. And he says, these are the gifts given to the body. Now, there's two parts to this that I want to talk about. First off, many people have heard teachings on fivefold ministry. And really, fivefold ministry has kind of come back into the church in this language where the church had kind of forgotten or are honestly, if, what do we call everybody that works at a church? Pastor. But is that the only gift given to the body? No. So for hundreds of years, the church kind of maybe lost a little bit of its way in realizing that these other gifts in the body still exist. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Now, I want to I have two parts here. I have heard lots of teaching, and I'm sure there would be even some people in here that would love to argue with me, and it's okay. That would I've heard people say this. Oh, that person's a... That person's a big A, or a big P prophet, or a capital P prophet, not just a little P prophet. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And it's trying to delineate this place where some people are maybe prophetic and some people are prophets. Now, we see in the Old Testament a whole gamut of prophets, right? We see these people that God designates and he gives these words to, and they're supposed to declare it to his people. And sometimes we look at this scripture and we, we, we end up taking apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and we make it a person. But it's not. Guess who it is? It's persons. It's us. We are apostles. We are prophets. We are pastors. We are teachers. We are evangelists. And I want to just get rid of the thinking that it's somebody else. It's so easy, right, for all of us. And I did this for years. Now you guys sit in the crowd and you look at me and you say, oh, Greg's the pastor. I did the same thing for a lot of years. I sat in the crowd and I looked at Don and I said, Don's the pastor. 
or Pastor Tom. I still can't, that's the only way I know how to call him. Pastor Tom, our founding pastor as a kid. Pastor Tom's the pastor. But the truth is, we are pastors. You see, these were never titles. These were functions. They were actions, actually. They were descriptions of how someone should act if they're leading a life worthy of their calling. Because you see, we've all been called, right? 2 Timothy 1.9, it's my life verse. I've quoted it 10,000 times. I'll do it 10,000 more. For he has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to the grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Listen to that scripture. He's talking to everyone in this moment. That somehow before time began, can't wrap my mind around that, he knew you, he knew me, and he had a holy calling for us. And guess what the best part? It's not based on our works, good or bad. My calling isn't based on literally if I do enough good things. And guess what? I don't lose my calling based on if I do enough bad things. Now, there's still choice in there for us to live out the calling, as we see Paul plead in Ephesians 4. Please, he says, I beg you, lead a life worthy of your calling. And then he gives these functions, these descriptions of how we're supposed to act within the church, within his called out people. And he calls them these five names, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Guess what? You are one or more of all of those. Everyone in this room. Everyone watching online. Every person has some of these gifts within them. Now, we actually see later in Scripture that Paul even kind of expounds that, and he, he talks differently. But I really think these five ones literally reside, these functions, these descriptions of how we're supposed to act should reside within every one of us. So I want to talk about what they mean. So apostles. So I want to, I want to jump now to Luke 6, and we're going to talk about apostles first. So stick with me. Are we all okay? All right. I know it's so nice out and half the people are at home. That's okay. Luke 6, 12 through 16. Hopefully I'm right with that. Yes. All right. So here we are. Luke 6, 12 through 16. It says this. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. This is a big moment. And he chose 12 of them to be apostles. So listen, I have often said, like, especially when we, we see the calling of disciples in Jesus' life, that they, they weren't really these big, huge moments. We see him walking by, Matthew or Levi, a tax collector in his booth, it says he's walking by and he says, hey, do you want to be my disciple? And what does it say? It says Matthew got up and he followed him. He goes to the to shoreline one day and he sees some fishermen in the boat and he says, hey, do you guys want to be my disciples? And what do they do? They leave their nets, they leave their stuff, and they follow him. I mean, even one of the disciples wasn't even invited by Jesus. It was Philip sitting under a tree, and his friend comes and tells him and says, hey, you should come see this guy who asked me to follow him. And Philip's like, yeah, I guess I'll come. 
And he shows up and Jesus says, I saw you even under that tree, Philip. So discipleship with Christ is for every single person. But we do see this moment where Jesus takes a long time praying for who he's going to name his apostles. Now, this is where we have to be careful and not forget this is not a title. This is a function. This is a moment where he's going to take 12 of his disciples, those who are following him, and he's now going to call them apostles, and it's going to be for a very specific reason. And so he says, at daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names, and he talks about it. So this is what apostle means. One sent out. That's it. It's someone who gets sent. So Jesus, because in Luke here, what we're about to see take place is Jesus goes into kind of a training mode. And he ends up pulling these apostles. He says, listen, you 12 that have been following me, in fact, this is, I'll be honest, this is why I believe he picked those 12. They were following him maybe the best. (laughs) Do you remember the parable of the wedding feast that I taught on recently? And you remember how it ends with many are called but few are chosen? Do you see the same language in this scripture? At daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12. But the thing that we have to realize is the reason he chose those 12 is because of how they were responding to him. It's the same thing in the the parable of the wedding feast. The invitation is open to everyone, right? The people that he invited first don't come. Then he just sends out an invitation. He says, go gather anybody who wants to come in. And then they all come in to the wedding feast. And you remember the clothes were supposed to be, they were actually provided for them. And he goes to the one guy and he says, hey, why aren't you wearing the wedding clothes? And the guy doesn't have an answer for him. And it says that he was thrown out into gnashing and weeping and all this stuff. And we see this weird thing, and then it ends, the parable ends with this quote from Jesus, for many are called, but few are chosen. But the reality here was, everybody was invited, even the guy who says yes comes in, but he is unwilling to respond fully. And so we see this choosing take place. First off, because he didn't choose to put on the wedding clothes, and then God says, well, okay, you're not going to do what I asked you to do. It's the same thing in this moment. I think that Jesus chooses these 12 because of how they were responding. Not because they were just ultimately more special. Not because they were just the only ones that God was going to use. I think that some time had gone by, and as he prayed, he realized these 12. But guess what? You know what's even awesome about this? Let's just jump down. As they label all these, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, we get to verse 16, it says, Judas, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrays him. Even Jesus picks someone who betrays him. So if you think you're not called or worthy of being chosen, first off, it's based on your response, and even when Jesus does the choosing, can we dare say he gets one wrong? And probably not. It was all a part of it. But he picks one who betrays him. You're worthy 
of God's calling. And in Ephesians 4, Jesus again, Paul writing to the church, he's begging us all, lead a life worthy of what you've been called to. And so apostle simply means this, to be sent out. Now I believe this, every one of us is called to be an apostle. Do you want to know why? Because we're not meant to live in the church. And I literally mean the building when I say church. We're not meant to live in some little bubble of Christianity where we don't go into the outside world. No, we're actually all sent into the world to declare the good news, to bring hope to the hopeless, all the things we sang about today, to represent Jesus in this world, we are all actually sent out. It's whether or not we will choose to wear the function. Do you understand, right? It's the language of that Wedding gown, will we put on the function now as the church? Will we wear what we're supposed to wear? Will we look the way we're supposed to look? And will we actually go out, be sent out by God to represent him in this world? Or will we just come to church on Sunday? <laughs> this is what it means to be an apostle. You know, we've, we've seen... Paul's writings, and he actually, I, lo- I love this scripture. I'm Honestly, let's just jump to one of them. I think Colossians is a good one. Oh, let me find it real quick. This is off topic. Where's Colossians? Colossians. It's such a little book. I should have picked something easier to find. <laughs> Here we are. Well, maybe it's on this one. But he starts all of his things with this. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. We call Paul Apostle Paul. Paul never did. Paul says, I am an apostle. I am one who has been sent by the will of God to do this work. Paul understood very clearly his function was to be sent out. In some ways, in every one of our lives, we're called to do that. Some of us, literally, maybe God wants to send us to another place to bring hope, to bring light, to bring the the description of who really Jesus is supposed to be or or what he really looks like in this. Maybe we're actually called to go somewhere else. For many of us, it's literally just to go wherever we're going now. But to look at our going differently. To be sent to our workplaces, to our families, to the places we shop and eat, to be sent into our friends' lives with a mindset that says, I'm here to represent God. Guess what? You've just become an apostle. These are the gifts given to the the body. Apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now let's go to the prophets. 1 Corinthians 14, actually, Justin mentioned this earlier today. 1 Corinthians 14. We see this description by Paul written to the Corinthian church, and he's actually talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the reason he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is because, honestly, the church was just kind of acting a little bit crazy. And he's trying to bring order to their gathering time. And so that's what these chapters are actually about. And so in chapter 14, verse 1, he says this, Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Especially the ability to prophesy. So, prophets. This is what 
what it means. This is exactly what the word means. It says, one who reveals God's word or will. Okay, we've made, I think, prophets or prophetic or prophecy into maybe something a little bit weird. And we're always looking for someone who, you know, who's literally just predicting the future. That's not really what the prophetic is. The prophetic is first and foremost always revealing God's word or will. That can happen in so many different ways. You don't want to know one simple way it can happen? It's what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking prophetically to you about the word of God. We're revealing, we're looking at the scripture that he's already written down and given to us, and we're revealing it to one another. I'm being prophetic in this moment. I'm speaking to you. This, this is what God's word means to us. This is what God's will is for us. That's prophetic. Prophetic can also be that I go and I pray for you, and in that moment, God gives me something that I don't know if is even true, but I might speak it over your life, and it affirms something in who you are. It might be about your future. It might be about your past. It might be about what God wants to do with inside you or what he wants to do with you and through your life. But it always comes back to revealing God's word or his will. Now, this is the interesting part about the prophetic. It's spoken. The word actually means to reveal with words. And so the prophetic is always something that's spoken. And how we live our lives and what we say into people, we're all called to be a little prophetic. We're all called to actually speak God's word and will into other people's lives. You want to know how you do that? You want to know how you can easily do that and never get it wrong? Share your testimony, definitely. We got a book full of prophetic words right here. When I quote 2 Timothy 1.9 all the time, I'm speaking it out prophetically into your life, that God has called you and saved you for a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to the grace who was given to you in Christ Jesus before time began. I'm speaking that prophetically into your life. I look at these scriptures and I see when they're written to us and I get to be able to say them back to someone. You can do the same thing. Aside from that, you can learn to hear God's voice. Every one of us. You know, he doesn't speak to only certain people, right? And, and some, I never heard an audible voice. I, I'm not saying that. But I hear him speak to me in the ways that I hear. In a song, in a prayer time, when I'm in the car and I hear this, this thought comes to me or this idea comes to me and I know I'm not that smart. Or when I read scripture and I'm preparing for a message and God gives me some revelation, I know I'm not that smart. <laughs> this, is, this is hearing God's voice. And then we can actually begin to speak into other people's lives. We can actually then help reveal God's word and his will to the world around us. Every one of you is a prophet. Everybody watching online can be a prophet. And Paul is here, and he's literally begging us all, please, I beg you, lead a life worthy 
of your calling. And one of the reasons that I think he says this is because he doesn't want people, just like we would today or just like they would in that day, sit in a crowd and say, oh, that's just for someone else. 1 Corinthians 14, he says it again. You should desire these special abilities. It's not just for someone else. It's for us. It's for his body. All right, let's move on. Evangelist. Mark 16, 15, we know this scripture, many of us do. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Evangelist literally just means proclaimer of good news. Someone who says the news. Now, I I love this because all of this connotates a speaking. There's so much incredible power in the words we use. Regardless of how you view Genesis and how things began, God spoke words and they caused things to happen. And we're made in the same image of God. Our words carry authority, they carry power, they carry creative abilities within them. And I'm telling you, anybody who made that stupid saying of sticks and stones may break my bones, but word will never hurt me, did not understand the power that language carries. Because our language and our words shape the world around us. Honestly, you know, the secular world understands this. Just look at the media. And I'm talking both sides. They're constantly trying to shape the world by what they say, regardless of whether it's true or not. It doesn't matter to them. You can say something, and if you say it continuously enough, somehow it shapes the way we think, even if we don't want to. That's why I dare ask you, shut it off sometimes. Whatever one you're listening to. Whatever side you think is holy, right? Just shut it off for a while and wait to listen for Jesus' words. Words shape us. They shape the world around us. And this word evangelist actually comes from someone who's proclaiming good news or actually good words. Good stories. A good language. And of course we know that this context is speaking about one specific story. Jesus. But what I love is it also is not just speaking about what Jesus did on the cross that we hear about it at Easter and Christmas and in church. It's also speaking about your story within God's story. Who said testimony earlier? Sherry. Thank you, Sherry. It's speaking about our story. Every one of you in this room online has good news within them. Even if you don't think you know how to tell people about who Jesus is, you can tell people about what Jesus has done in you. You can say, I don't even understand why I go to church. Growing up my whole life, I thought it was stupid. I thought those people were brainwashed, but somehow I end up in this church, and I end up experiencing God. I don't even know how to explain it. I'm telling you, when you speak with words like that, it doesn't matter if you know the Scripture. Because God's going to use that language to proclaim his goodness over people. You're all evangelists. I don't like to use that word, honestly. It sounds so religious. But this in Scripture describes what we're supposed to be like. 
We're supposed to be someone who's proclaiming good news. If all you're ever posting on Facebook is how the world is ending, you're not proclaiming good news. We're supposed to be someone who brings hope into someone's life with our words. We're supposed to be people who come into families and into situations and we bring encouragement and we bring this idea that there's more to life than what maybe they've known and we bring this good story to them. This is what it means to evangelize. Not to just stand on a street corner with a sign or to leave a track on a table. In fact, I actually, maybe, and listen, I know Jesus uses tracks because He uses all of our things. But a track literally is the opposite of what evangelizing is. You're saying nothing. You're letting something written down speak. But the truth is when we use our spoken words, there's far more power than anything written down for someone. I know God uses it. I'm not trashing it, okay? Sorry if I made it feel stupid. God wants to use your words your language, to spread this good news of what he's done in you, what he's done for us, what he's doing in the world, and it's supposed to be proclaimed. You're all evangelists. You're all called to evangelize. You're all supposed to operate in this function. This is what it means to lead a life worthy of our calling. Let's move on to pastor. First Peter 5 Two through four. So listen, pastor is what the New Living says. Most more word-for-word translations, it's all going to say shepherd there. So it would say these are the gifts given to the body, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And I think shepherd is a little bit better because we have so much thinking around the word pastor. (laughs) It's almost hard to get back through it. Whereas shepherd, it's a little bit of a, an unused word for us that really has just mostly a historical meaning, which means to take care of sheep. Literally, that is exactly what it means. One who cares for sheep. Now, I know that this word sheep has been just lovingly used in society today. And I I laugh because I've seen Christians that say, oh, you're just a sheeple. And I say, yeah, you too, because you are because that's what Jesus describes us as. In the New Testament, every one of us is a sheep. Now, we have bad connotations about why none of us, and as Americans, you're all going, oh, I'm not a sheep. But guess what you are? Now, you're only supposed to follow one shepherd, Jesus. We're supposed to only do what that shepherd says, where that go where that shepherd leads, act like that shepherd acts. So yeah, don't be somebody else's sheep. I think that's a better saying. Don't be anybody else's sheep. Don't follow the ways of somebody else in this world or where one side of the world is pulling you or one side of the political aisle is pulling you. Don't do that. Listen for the shepherd who you're supposed to know his voice as we understand from the book of John. We're supposed to understand. We're supposed to know what he sounds like. We're supposed to lead only where he goes. But the truth is we all have to admit we're sheep. And so this first connotation when we see shepherd, we understand that one of the gifts given to the body is to shepherd, pastor, one another. 
It's not just for a person. It's not my job, actually. Well, it is, but it's also yours. I just get paid for it. Some of you thought that was funny. No, I don't know about that. (laughs) Justin's better at it than the rest of us. So shepherd is someone who takes care of the sheep. And obviously we understand this is symbolic as Paul writes this. And even as Jesus talks about it and he calls a sheep, it's a symbolic understanding. It's an understanding that God wants, in, in Jesus' words, that first he wants to care for us. And there's an incredible teaching. Actually, Jessica just spoke at Living Hope two weeks ago all about this. And I should have had her do this before I spoke. But this whole teaching of what Jesus means when he calls the sheep and how he wants to care for us and, and what, it, what it means for us. But also there's this symbolic understanding that now in the church, we're supposed to shepherd one another. It's why for the last five years plus, we've been saying, you're all pastors. You pastor people within your small groups. You pastor people within your teams. You pastor people within your life because we want you to understand that this gift given to the body is you. The gift is you actually saying, oh, I see this person in need. Let me come alongside and care for them. Oh, I see this person hurting. Let me come alongside and pray for them. Oh, I see this person that's down and out right now. Let me bless them with generosity. Oh, I see this this thing taking place. I'm going to shepherd this couple. I'm going to shepherd this person. I'm going to shepherd this young person. That we are all called to look around us within the body of Christ and within the world and say, oh, I can care for that person. It's all of our callings. It's what God's Literally pleading with his church to be like, please, Paul says, I beg of you, lead a life worthy of your calling. And this is one of the main things. Care for one another. Take care of each other. Pastor and shepherd each other, no matter what the circumstance looks like. 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Let's turn there real quick. First Peter 5, 2 through 4, and it says, And now a word to you, oh no, let's jump down to 2. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And in this, he's actually speaking to this group of elders, right? These ones who are overseeing the church. But the truth is we're all called to pastor one another. And I think this scripture describes what it looks like to actually pastor each other. It's not to lord over someone. It's not to be over someone. And even these are the literal overseers of the church. And when we hear that word overseer, we always think someone in charge. But Jesus speaking to his disciples about leadership. It's one of the one spots where he talks about leadership, and he says, in this world, those in authority lord it over each other, but among you, it will be different. And then he goes on to describe how he came to serve. See, 
Leadership in the church, leadership in the body of Christ, pastoring, shepherding in the body is serving. It's not overseeing. It's serving. It's caring for one another. It's coming underneath someone and helping hold them up. It's lifting someone up when they need help. This is what we're called to be like. Let's jump to Colossians now. Talk about teacher. These are the gifts given to the body. The apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and, well, I said them in the wrong order. Yeah, Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. We heard today this. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God your Father. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, we know this. It says, go into all the world, or actually I'm going to quote the wrong one. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. There's this place where we're literally meant to teach and, and we know that, we know what that means in our world. We use this word all the time in many situations. But I want to give you just a little bit of a clearer understanding. In Scripture, it meant this, one who shapes. And specifically, it was shaping into the teacher's image. It was really about one who replicates. It was a word, teacher, was pretty much synonymous with rabbi. And a rabbi would take disciples and he would shape them into what he was like. And so as teachers, as teachers in the body of Christ, as all of us are called to teach one another, counsel one another, we're actually called to come alongside people and help shape them. Now this is, this is the part into what Jesus is like, the teacher. We're called to shape each other. Now listen, shaping isn't always a fun process. You see, we always think teaching is where I sit here, you sit there, you listen to me, you hopefully take some notes, you go home, and you've learned something. Teaching isn't just about learning. It's actually about changing. You see, when we're actually taught... I haven't just learned new information. I've now changed how I see the world or how I see this situation or how I see this circumstance. And I now have a new tool, hopefully, to do something different in my life than I did before. I've changed. I've been shaped. It's also one reason why we should care about what is shaping our lives, our children's lives, and the world around us. We should care about what is being spoken 
with authority and language all the time into my mind and my children's mind because I don't want someone else to shape my kids. I don't want someone else to shape me. I want Christ to do it. And so we have to be careful in our lives of who's shaping us, but then we also have to be reminded I'm called to shape. I'm supposed to come alongside this person. Listen, you know, um, my kids went to uh, the Catholic school Trinity for years. Jeremiah went up to sixth grade, and incredible school, incredible people, love them. But honestly, I had so many times where people come to me and go, aren't you concerned about what they teach? I said, only if I don't teach my kids too. Now, if my kids come home, and I'll, I'll just bring something up that we would maybe disagree with, and they're praying to Mary, and I don't shape my kids to understand why we don't pray to Mary, well, yeah. I did something wrong. I should have shaped my children. And so my son comes home and he says, hey, dad, in the morning they do this thing and then they pray to the statue of this lady. And I'm like, yeah, let's have a discussion about that. And so we talked about it. And we talked about why we wouldn't believe that we would pray to Mary. We think she's incredible and that Jesus chose her and that there's honor there. But we don't need to pray to her. We pray to Jesus. And so what I probably should have done better is told him not to go back and tell his teacher that they were wrong. But we have a great relationship with, with Father Mark over there. And he would tell me, he'd joke, he goes, yeah, I had a little debate with Jeremiah today. I'm like, oh, that's okay. Because we're called to shape each other. And this is, this is what's interesting about teaching or about being shaped. You're being shaped whether you want to be or not. So if you don't do it consciously, it's happening to you subconsciously. And actually, it's, it's both. It's happening to you subconsciously if you're not purposing to allow the right things to shape you or the right people to shape you. And it's also happening through you even if you're not doing it consciously. How much do we shape our kids even when we're not thinking about it? How you act in this service is actually shaping how other people view the world and or Jesus right now. When someone looks across the sanctuary and they see you and they see your life, they're actually being shaped by what they think the church is like. We're always shaping the world around us. It's whether we decide to do it consciously in a good way or not. Will we be teachers, shapers, like Jesus wants us to be? And Paul, again, he's pleading, right? He says, I beg you, lead a life worthy of your calling. To be sent out ones. To be ones who who proclaim this good news, to be ones who reveal God's will and word, to be ones who shape each other, to be ones who shepherd and care for I plead for you, do this well and worthy of your calling and how God has wanted you to do it and how he's designed you to do it. And then he goes through, this is your homework. Read the rest of Ephesians 4 and understand a little more of how we're supposed to do it. But we're supposed to do it through every one of these functions. See, this is where the church has gone awry. We've captured one, and we've forgotten about others. A church that cares only about shepherding becomes very inward really quick. And it becomes this, this ultra-close family, and, it, and it's wonderful for the people who are already there, but it's really hard for anybody else to get in. Or maybe it's just a church that only cares about people who aren't there yet. 
And all they're talking about is those who are lost and they're evangelizing. And, and so they just bring people in and they say, Jesus loves you. And you just got to say this prayer. But then there's no teaching and there's no caring. And the people's lives look exactly the same. But they've heard this good news. Also not the whole picture. Or maybe you've got a church that's just like, we're just going to prophesy until we're dead. We're going to just give word. Like, I hear, man, I get so many people sending me prophetic words. And if you're one of those people, I'll just be honest, I don't listen to them all. Because this is why. I got enough to look, look at and listen already. I don't need any more revealing of God's will. I'm drowning in what he's already said. I'm just going to accomplish what he's saying here and what he's spoken to me. The rest of the world, that's wonderful. <laughs> but if we only listen to revealing God's word and will, but don't ever do anything about it, don't ever evangelize with it, don't ever care and shape with it, well, then what are we doing? Or what if we're just sent out ones? What if we just send out constantly? Now, there's a scripture that I've had people even argue with me about fivefold ministry and how these functions are, some are more important than others because in another area of uh, Paul's writings, he says, first the apostles, then the prophets. And he does this order thing. Well, I'll tell you why there's an order to it. It's not a hierarchical order. It's a logical order. If someone is not sent, how are they going to hear? Scripture sound familiar? And if they don't hear, how are they going to know? And if they don't know, unless someone is sent, how will they ever accept Christ? If, there's this, if someone's not sent out first, there's going to be no prophesying, there's going to be no evangelizing, there's going to be no teaching, and there's going to be no shepherding. And so there's an order to how God works these, but not hierarchical. Well, yet Jesus wants to call all of us to be sent out. He wants to call all of us to, to speak his will and his word into people's lives. He wants to call all of us to, to literally proclaim the goodness of who he is to this world, to shepherd and care for one another, and to shape each other. Every one of you is an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, and an evangelist. These are the gifts given to the body. You are the gifts given to the body. And why? I have to turn there to quote it right. Hold on. Did I write it in there? Yeah, here it is. It's right at the top of your notes. These are the gifts given to the body. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. This is how we build the church. Right here. And it's not a name on a sign. It's people. It's living stones brought together to create a glorious structure that shows the world God's goodness. And this is how we do it. We, we lead a life worthy of our calling. We don't lay down. We don't become spectators. We don't just go to church on Sundays and watch the pastor speak for a while and then go home and not be changed. We don't think that it's just a few people on staff's job or a few volunteer leaders to lead this. We don't think it's someone else's job to lead a small group or someone else's job to serve on a greeting team or someone else's job to go across and bless that neighbor. We realize this is my job. 
This is the function God has given me to be sent out to love, to care, to shape, to proclaim his goodness, to tell people about who he is. This is my job. And just like Paul wrote to Ephesians, I believe God's pleading with us now, I beg of you, lead a life worthy of your calling. Why don't we stand this morning? Now, I believe some of us, I believe we're all called to operate in these gifts, but I also believe that some of us are gifted very heavily in one way. I would say I'm not naturally a shepherd. I don't notice when you're struggling unless you literally say, I'm struggling. A good shepherd probably notices long before that. But I know that we all lean into certain areas of these giftings, and that's, that's an incredible thing. And, but we're not supposed to neglect the rest. And so today, the challenge I have for you is to ask yourself, what gift has God given you to build up his church? Because you're meant to build his church. And the material that he needs to build it are just people. So who has God put you around? Who's already within your realm of influence in your life and in your family and your friends, your workplace? Who has God already been drawing on their heart where he's going to use you to be sent to them to speak a word of encouragement to shape their life to build up his church? And I want us to ask ourselves that. What gifts have you given me, God? What are you calling me to do? How am I supposed to step out and actually lead this life worthy of your calling. I'm going to pray today. I'm just going to bless you guys as we go. You know, I'm really excited for the future of what God's doing in our church. I really believe that he's just getting started. You know, we celebrated 40 years in June. and I mean, since then, I have just been hit so heavy with the realization of what God wants us to do do in the next 40. Now, I might not even make it that 40, but I don't care. What does God have for us? And it's not just for us, right? It's about this region. It's about Messina and Augensburg and Malone and Plattsburgh. It's about Waddington and Morristown and Lisbon and Potsdam and Canton and all the other regions. And it's about those million people that we've prayed for so many years. For 40 years we've been praying from 81 to 87, from the river to 90. A million people who God is drawing on their hearts. And he is literally looking down at us and he says, if you lead a life worthy of your calling, we'll reach those million people. And I think 40 years from now, People will look back just like we got to look back in June and look at all the people who invested into building his church and say, God, I am so thankful they said yes to that. And it won't just be about Pastor Tom or Don or even me. It'll be about all of us saying, yeah, we're going to do this together. So, Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you for stirring in us not to just be a church where people just go to get some teaching or go to get some knowledge or go to, to, in a sense, just be fed, God, on a Sunday morning, but then go about our lives living the same way we always have. But, God, we want to be transformed into the people that you've designed us to be. 
God, we want to be these called out ones, these ones that you've literally spoken even since the beginning of time and said you have a purpose, you have a calling. And so, Father, I ask right now that you would draw that out of every one of us. God, this week, people watching online, people in this room, that you would literally highlight this is, this is one of the gifts that you have. This is one of the ways that you can use it to build my church. And God, I pray that above all else, we would have the boldness, the willingness to just say yes and step out and see your church built. To be your hands and feet and to lead a life worthy of this calling. We thank you in Jesus' name. God, I ask you to bless every family in this room. God, bless every person watching online. Father, And we just lift every person struggling with sickness right now, God, specifically COVID, God. I ask right now that you touch people, touch their families, God. We ask for protection over people's bodies and illnesses, God, that we would just see you, in a sense, safeguard hearts, God, safeguard families, safeguard our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed, and we will see you again soon. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week, and have a blessed day.